Welcome to the Digital Marketing Podcast, brought to you by TargetInternet.com. Hello and welcome back to the Digital Marketing Podcast. My name is Kieran Rogers and today, listeners, we have something quite special for you. We're going to be looking into a bit of a bit of a affiliate marketing 101. So for those of you who've always wanted to know more about affiliate marketing, you have come to the right episode. So I want to introduce our guest and expert in the affiliate marketing space, a gentleman called Bruce Clayton. Hello, Bruce. Hello there. And uh, tell us a bit more about who you are and what you do. Um, well, we, I'm one of the co-founders of an affiliate marketing agency called Optimus Performance Marketing. Um, Optimus Performance Marketing is the UK's largest um, dedicated affiliate management agency. Essentially, what that means is we manage clients' affiliate marketing programs for them. Um, many, many reasons for that, um, not least of which is a lot of people have the in-house expertise to do it themselves. We have very big clients. Uh, I think traditionally, a lot of people don't really understand affiliate marketing that well. They don't like affiliate marketing that well. They don't necessarily want to have to have these conversations. But generally, we we will, you know, anybody that requires additional resource for their affiliate marketing, be that on a consultancy basis, short-term basis, long-term basis, um, we're able to help and we're able to provide what we like to think of as very good advice. So at this point, I think I'll share with all of you how I got to uh, know Bruce and got to work with Optimus Performance Marketing. So uh, a bit like Bruce just explained, uh, for a long time I was, uh, I didn't like affiliate marketing. Uh, I didn't particularly understand it that well. Um, It seemed uh, like a lot of smoke and mirrors sometimes. I'd had some bad experiences with not very good account managers at an affiliate network um, where maybe they didn't explain things properly or I didn't necessarily feel they had my best interests at heart. And my perception was it was a it was a dog eat dog world where everybody was just trying to make money and I seemed to always uh, be the, the the loser in this as a as I, and I don't think it is like that. But when I first bumped into um, Bruce's uh, company, I was absolutely blown over by the transparency and honesty uh, that they gave. They're very matter of fact about it and this is how it works. And really for me opened my eyes to the fact that actually there are there are honest, open and transparent people in the marketing world that, that can help guide you in this. It is, by its very nature, in my experience, quite a complex set of um, opportunities and mechanisms and devices and structures and commissions. Uh, and that's really why I've invited Bruce on to the show uh, today to, to, to really help guide you all, all through that. But I, I did just want to like caveat this whole interview with the fact that actually Bruce is my go-to trusted person when I want to find out uh, you know, the lowdown on, on a particular aspect of, of affiliate marketing. And he's always been the person that I've recommended people go and speak to because to a certain extent, He's fairly impartial. He's he's not a network, and strictly speaking, he's he's not a, a merchant. Um, he's he exists in a layer, or his company work and exists in a layer in between that. And I, I love the impartiality and the expertise that you bring to that. Thank you very much. You're very kind. <laughs> Oh, so with the introduction done and out of the way, I'm interrupting proceedings unusually to give you a bit of a steer and a pointer on this episode, which does take a slightly different structure. When interviewing Bruce, we explored the very basic building blocks of affiliate marketing. We then went on to discuss some of the tactics brands and merchants can employ to get the most from their affiliate programs. 
doing both of these things has made for an extraordinarily long interview and I know those of you wanting to learn about the basics will find the first half really really useful but for those of you already working in the affiliate world you might want to skip ahead to around 21 minutes where we explore and discuss effective tactics you can take to take your affiliate marketing efforts to the next level. So the choice is yours. Stay with us for the 101 or start hitting that skip button frantically to get to the second half. So, Bruce, what exactly is affiliate marketing? Affiliate marketing, also known as performance marketing, I'll give you... The reasonably dry definition, because I think it's actually really uh, explanatory, essentially is when a third-party website promotes an advertiser's product or services in return for a commission when it generates uh, a sale or, or, or refers a lead, which is usually referred to as a, a commission or, or a lead payment. Okay, so uh, we have within the affiliate marketing space uh, affiliate networks. Can you just explain to people what is an affiliate network? Yeah, um, an affiliate network essentially provides the underpinnings that, that enable the, the, the key relationships to occur. Um, they provide something called tracking. Um, generally, that is cookie-based tracking. Um, and essentially, what that does is it enables publishers to put links to merchants on their website. When a customer clicks through on that, the click is recorded uh, by the affiliate network. If that customer then goes on to generate a lead or, or, or make a purchase, then that is recorded and essentially the tracking relates the occurrence of a sale or a lead back to the referring publisher. And that's essentially what you need for affiliate marketing to occur. Traditionally, affiliate networks have also offered account management as part of that. So essentially, they've set themselves up as a as the means by which a merchant or an advertiser can have numerous relationships with affiliate publishers. So essentially then, we have a little bit of a love triangle. There are three parties in, in, involved with, with, with this, this magic thing that, that's known as affiliate marketing. We've got a, we've got a, a merchant. Uh, they're people with something to sell. We've got a, a publisher, a stroke affiliate, and they're people with an, an audience and they can obviously, you know, take promotions and, and push products and promotions out to that audience. And then the third party in the love triangle for this is, is the affiliate network. So from what you're saying, I'm understanding that the, the affiliate network simply pulls together the, the, the merchants and the publishers and gives them a mechanism to, you know, at scale, deal with lots of each other and deal with all of the, you know, the commissions and the, and, and, and the payments and, and that kind of stuff. Is that right? Have I understood that right? Uh, yeah, that's exactly right. So, I mean, I can, my analogy when I'm, I'm sort of talking to a would-be client is if you're in the business-to-business -business space, so say you're an engineering company and you make something, if you can identify your customers as potentially being a maximum of six to 12 people, and you want to impress your customers, you can you can take them on a golf day or you can take them all out for a meal. Obviously, from the point of view of a business-to-consumer business, a high street company wanting to expand the amount of sales it does, potentially they have, you know, you know there are, there are hundreds of thousands of customers that they can access through uh, many hundreds uh, affiliate sites from that point of view. And the important thing is they cannot 
possibly sustain an individual relationship with those individual sites. And I think it's also impossible for those individual sites, if they want to promote more than a handful of merchants, to have meaningful relationships with all of those merchants on a, on a personal level. So essentially what an affiliate network does, it enables... Um, publishers to have multiple merchant relationships and merchants to have multiple publisher relationships and it literally comes down to really from a, from a merchant point of view x amount of sales occur within a month the they can get a report from the affiliate network that says here's all the sales that you've generated do you agree they say yes the network sends them an invoice, they pay the invoice, all of the publishers get paid. And likewise, from a publisher point of view, they have a window on exactly how successful or not that they've been with all of the merchants that they work with, and they know exactly what money to expect. So effectively, they provide them the wheels to, 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 to make the affiliate marketing industry continue. But I guess, strictly speaking, it could just be a, an agreement between a merchant and a, and a publisher. It doesn't have to involve the affiliate network. But what the affiliate network does is it enables me as, a, as, a, as, an, as an affiliate to reach lots and lots of merchants and as a, as a merchant to reach hundreds and hundreds of affiliates. Is that right? Yeah, absolutely. And I also think there's an element of trust in there, which is something that literally just came to mind. So affiliate networks provide some kind of assurance and measurement to the uh, to the affiliate. So people trust in a network's tracking, especially if they have hundreds of merchants that they can potentially work with. So essentially, a merchant can gain credibility by working with an affiliate network because it, they make it very, very easy. So because there is literally one sort of you know one type of technological solution that needs to be integrated on a publisher's site and once they become familiar with how to do that they become very loyal to the network and they become more loyal to merchants that are part of that network and if every merchant went with every individual you know to every if there was an individual solution to every single problem people would just get mired in in in, in kind of bespoke relationships and that's not the way affiliate marketing works Okay, and so these affiliate networks are there? Are there a few of them? Are there lots of them? Are, are there like some really big Uber ones that we need to be aware of? How does that space all work? There are a lot less affiliate networks around than there were, say, ten years ago. Um, there are some very, very big ones. You've got Affiliate Window, which is pan-European. You've also got Commission Junction, which is very big in the US. Uh, you've got Trade Doubler, which is very big in Europe, and you've got some smaller ones. Uh, you've got Web Games Network. I don't really want this to be a list, but there's probably five or six significant networks in the UK. And there are also some smaller networks that specialize in things like gaming, betting, um, finance related stuff, which tends to be slightly more kind of specialist because there are a lot of compliance issues that need to be taken into consideration. And you'll find that there are kind of niche publishers stroke affiliates that work in those areas as well. So are certain networks better for certain type of of, of merchants again that used to be true i think there are as i say there are specialist networks that, that are really the go-to for things like finance and sports betting and gaming and that kind of stuff i think to a point affiliate future is is, is very specialized in travel uh, i'm not entirely sure that that's sort of justified in terms of expertise but that's definitely the perception um, i think most good networks are pretty good across the board for most categories of 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 of, 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 um, of retail and, and and finance now and as a as a merchant should i be looking to go with many different networks what what are the pitfalls of, of or advantages of of doing that 
from an agency perspective, I think there are relatively few advantages to do it. Um, there is a lot of commonality between publishers. Um, obviously, not you know, it's not desirable that everyone goes with one network because effectively you create a monopoly and competition is very good when it comes to things like pricing because cost is an obvious factor in this for, for merchants. But you will find that 95% of all affiliates probably belong to the vast majority of networks. Um, what you do is effectively you create a problem of reporting because if 50% of your sales are coming from web gains and 50% of your sales are coming from affiliate window, there will be a considerable overlap duplication will be caused it becomes a complete nightmare to report basically so unless there is a considerable advantage of extra affiliates that you can access on one network rather than another um, then by all means do that in practice for the majority of just general retail affiliate programs it is better to work with one network and make sure that that network is one that you can work with in terms of support that they give you the tech and, and reporting and just understanding what you can do with them so bruce can you explain the different types of affiliate there are within the affiliate space because there does seem to be certain types of activity that, that that are performed by certain types of affiliate stroke publishers um, yeah, sure. I mean, there's been a kind of evolution over the years in terms of the type of affiliates that have, have dominated the, the, the industry. Back, so I guess, 15, 10, 15 years ago when Mark and I founded Optimus, it was a, a slightly different mix of affiliates. So we had content affiliates, which I think really then would describe people who authored and optimized websites around certain topics, interests, merchants, products, whatever. So essentially, they were producing really juicy content in a particular space of interest. And that content could obviously have affiliate links in there. And that was how they that was their business model. People click come to the good get the good stuff, click on the links and purchase. Is that, is that right? Absolutely. Um, and I think back in the day, even before Google, then the ability to write web content that would rank really highly on search engines uh, meant it was actually easy easy for affiliates to make money that way. Um, I think the growth of Google and obviously their various kind of advertising models and, and ways of doing it um, have kind of pushed the significance of, uh, of organic search. And also brands uh, become their own publishers and are producing their own content like that, right? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Which is which has actually made it a lot harder for 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 content affiliates to to earn a living through affiliate marketing. Also, we had the sort of economic shock of two thousand and eight, um, and the two categories of affiliates that really came out of that that pretty much dominate the landscape in terms of sales are both cashback and voucher code sites. Two really good examples of cashback sites would be Quidco and Top Cashback, who have actually sort of got big enough now that they're doing above the line advertising on on sort of TV and, and, and certainly public transport in London in the case of Quidco. And essentially their model is to take the affiliate commission that they are paid um, and give that back to the customer in terms of depositing that money into uh, an actual account um, in the form of money that they can, you know, convert their online spendings into, into money that they can take out of that account at certain points in the year. 
and and I'm, I mean, I know from personal experience, people that get into that space get really they get really into growing that that little cash cow. So you know, as a customer, as a consumer, I can actually you know earn money off of my purchases just by being a little bit more savvy. And I think it can be a big a big influencer, right? If I've got a choice of multiple brands in a similar space to to buy from, knowing that I get cash back from from those two or three could really influence me if I'm into that. Yes, it can. And also from the point of view of looking at commercial behavior, some of the, I mean, we'll probably come on to it later, but some of the the KPIs that we look at is average order values. Uh, And what we do see is that the average order value through a cashback site is generally higher. So if, for example, I was going to spend £100 with Fatface, for example, and I can get cashback, well, if I work out that that cashback actually equates to £20 on the order I was going to make, well, I might actually spend £120 instead. And that kind of thing is what we actually see. So yeah, it is a big influence on customer behavior and not just around conversion, but on what they spend it on and and, and, and how much they will actually spend. There are variations on a theme which basically sort of take the cashback model and take it somewhere else. So there's a site, for example, called Easy Fundraising, which uh, I'm not allowed to spend anything on unless I do Easy Fundraising because my wife set up an account that we have to use because it gives money to my son's school. Uh, And so essentially what they do is they take the cashback and they convert it into cash which they then donate to a good cause. It could be a Boy Scout group, could be a charity, could be a school, could be whatever. Kind of of like the Robin Hood of the affiliate world. Yes, indeed. Well, it's it's, it's, it's a slightly, you know, yeah, it's... um, it's a more client shall we just say it's a more merchant friendly uh more more merchant friendly use of cashback (laughs) so so what are the costs involved with affiliate marketing let's just let's just explore that um sure i mean everybody has to make a living at the end of the day um if you are with you need an affiliate network or you need some form of tracking technology so basically if you go to um, sign up with an affiliate network, then there will sometimes be a signing on fee. Um, there will probably be a monthly fee. And they will also obviously um, require you to pay some sort of commission. And that's money I pay to the, to the affiliate network, right? That's money that gets paid to the affiliate network, absolutely. The money you pay to the affiliate will be your affiliate commission. And also the affiliate network will charge something called an override on top of that. An override? What is this extra hidden cost? What, what is an override? So I'll keep it simple because I'm a simple person. So if, for example... I pay 10% commission. If in a month I generate £100,000 worth of sale at 10% commission, that will be 10,000 pounds worth of affiliate commission I will have to pay to those affiliates via the affiliate network. The affiliate network will then charge an override on that and traditionally that's been 30%. It's, it, it, it's come down, it come, it, you know, you, you, you can get it lower than that if you're loyal. So just to clarify, that would be 30% of the 10,000 yeah. commission that I'm paying? So if I agree that all of those £100,000 worth of sales are genuine, then, they, then the affiliate network will send me an invoice for £13,000. That will be the £10,000 affiliate commission. And if they're charging me 30% override, that will be the 30% of 10 is 3000 And I will pay them 13000 They will keep the £3,000 and they will distribute the £10,000. So they're the network side costs uh, involved with that. Okay. All right. That, that, that's good. I, I, I get that. And it, from the way that you're talking, I'm guessing the overrides can vary a little bit they can i mean obviously 
you know, a, a big merchant will have a lot more leverage than a small merchant and they will say, well, that's not acceptable or I've been with you for X amount of years. And, and obviously, when affiliate networks are competing for business, then cost is obviously a major factor and, and, a, and a merchant can play one off against the other to get the cost reduced, either get rid of the signing on fee, uh, reduce or get rid of the monthly fee and considerably reduce the override. And obviously, if you're reducing you know, your, 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 your cost of sale or your override from sort of 30 to 15% on, on high amounts of commission, that's a very considerable saving that you can make. Uh, yeah, I, I guess that there are, there are reasons why affiliate networks would, would do lower over rides on certain pieces of business and it doesn't always follow that the work you have to do on on a big account or a small account is is, is in any way different so yeah I guess um, but I, I think it's safe to assume that you're, you're, you're going to be paying somewhere in the region of 20 to 25 percent override yeah that, that's certainly been been my experience the only thing I'd add to that is obviously like any service provision uh, you know when you sign up for a, an affiliate network you're signing a contract there's normally a fixed period within there and if, if, if the program goes well and it, it's a success when you come to renew that contract then there's normally a little bit of room for maneuvering potentially yeah absolutely i think 12 to 18 months is the norm um and certainly yeah when it comes to the point of renewal or or at least um when you're when you're getting into the period where you can uh, renegotiate or you know effectively terminate that contract then you are at the point of maximum leverage So let's just view this from a, a, a merchant's perspective, right? I'm a, I'm a merchant. I have products that I want to, to sell. We've explored some of the different types of, a, of affiliate uh, out there that I can, can, can leverage on. Can we just sort of walk through from a merchant's perspective? Like as an agency, what sort of activity would you recommend to me if I want to grow my market share and increase the number of sales I get through affiliate marketing? I think one of the first things to do is to try and understand the affiliates business model um, and how that can be used to your advantage. Um, essentially, you know, that's what they do. That's all they can do. Um, and, you know, my role as an agency quite often is to try is, is, is to really um, not sell sells the wrong word. I think I think that implies I'm trying to force a decision. My role is to educate my clients or merchants as to the value of those particular affiliates. Every every upside has its downside. Um, I mean, we discussed earlier about voucher code sites uh, when we were off air. Um, and obviously, there's a tendency for a customer to see a voucher code box and actually go off and find a voucher code. Well. You know that that has upsides and downsides from a merchant's point of view because whilst it can influence somebody to actually go through and complete a purchase if they were wavering, there is no not necessarily any way of knowing that that might have been the case. Um, and again, if you're you know, and, and it, it depends on what you do with the voucher code and 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 whether that has any kind of minimum value as to whether that is actually stretching a customer's spend or whether it's it's incentivizing a new customer or whether it's incentivizing loyalty lots of different things and there are things you can do like you can make the voucher code only relevant for a new customer for example yes you can um some of that comes down to your ability to recognize that customer as genuinely new which is a bit of a black art in itself i think one of the things that we're always at pains to disc- you know to, to 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 make clear is that a voucher code shouldn't be just a discount, just for being there. The, the most useful thing to do with the voucher code is if somebody's got 80 pounds in their basket 
and your average order value is £80 and you give them a voucher code, that's a complete waste. All you're basically doing is reducing your profit margin. If you can get that person to go, well, if you spend £150, we'll give you 20% off. Well, obviously quite a lot of customers won't do that. They'll just go through and they'll complete their £80 purchase without a voucher code, in which case, job done. Um, if you do persuade somebody to spend over £150 and you give them 20% off, well, actually, you've increased your basket size quite considerably. So we tend to advise people always to put some sort of commercially useful condition on a voucher code. People will go and find it. People will decide whether that voucher code is relevant. And, and, and hopefully, if they do use it, it will, it will actually drive a commercially useful outcome rather than just a, a discount on a purchase that you would already have had. And I think that's a really interesting strategy you've you've just shared shared there w- with us. I think all too often people do use promo codes and voucher codes just simply to to discount, and then it becomes a bit of a race to to the bottom. And you you know you you're losing out eventually on 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 the profit because don't forget it's not just the 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 money off that you're giving through the the promotion. Then there's also the network fees and overage fees and commissions that have to be paid as well, right? Yeah, and I mean there are strategies around that. I mean obviously a a sale that involves the use of a voucher code is never going to have as much margin in it. You know, even if you have increased the basket size, you are still giving a discount and you are still eating into your margin. Again, um, there are ways around that depending on how technically flexible your, 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 your affiliate network is, then it's perfectly possible to pay differential commissions based on whether a sale involved the use of a voucher code or not. So for example, you might pay 10% for a full price sale, you might pay 5% for a sale that involved a voucher code. And depending on whether you can measure it, you know, and again, a new customer always has a great value, possibly a greater value than whatever margin you're sacrificing on the first purchase with them. Because if you are worth your salt as a merchant, then once you've acquired that customer, you will remarket to them via emails, strategic emails at certain times. You will you will know if you have a big enough mass of customers what their general behavior is, uh, you know, whether they purchase on a three month, six month yearly cycle. I've got clients that sell tiles and obviously you only tile your bathroom probably about once every 10 years. So we know pretty much all customers are new, so it doesn't necessarily work that way. But things with fashion, when you've got people that are very loyal to a fashion brand and they're going to purchase every quarter when you get new season stuff in, again, you want, you know, you 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 want to you probably want to incentivize new customers more than existing ones and you want to get existing customers to spend more with you. So you have a you have a differential strategy targeted at whatever. So it's perfectly possible again to pay more for a new customer than it is to pay for an existing customer. What I love about what you've just shared there with us is that initially when I first came to the affiliate space, one of the things I struggled with from a merchant's perspective was, you know, how do you avoid um, simply discounting to your existing customers because my actually at that, that, that time my strategy was okay I recognize that if I go out through uh, you know key affiliate publishers I'm going to be able to reach an audience who maybe haven't heard or experienced my my brand before and actually you know within the strategy you're proposing there I think that's a, that's a great way around that. Yeah, I, I think there is one danger in what I've just said, which is assuming that you can do all of this with as much precision as I've kind of implied. Um, my kind of safety net with clients and something I always advise at the start 
if I if I inherit a, a program that's been running for a while, the first thing we do is we do an audit of what that program is about, what the actual overall costs are, and you would be amazed at how many people don't know what their affiliate program is actually costing them, or, or have never bothered to factor in all of those costs into the sale, other than looking at the commission. If it's somebody who's potentially new to affiliate marketing, then what we essentially what we want to do with any client, where be they new or, or, or existing, is to boil it down to a cost of sale. What is an acceptable cost of sale for the channel and we will take into account every single cost including our agency fees network fees commissions all of that and then we will say okay for every hundred pounds you sell through the affiliate channel that might have cost you 10 in which case your cost of sale is 10 percent is that acceptable what is your maximum cost of sale they might say 15 percent they might say it's eight percent if it's 15 percent then i know that i'm working within an acceptable range if we're outside of that cost of sale of eight percent then quite clearly the client is not making any money through the affiliate channel and we want to do something about it so working to a cost of sale means to a point yeah you can do the nice things like new and existing customers you can do the things like code or no code commission rates all that kind of stuff but you know that if the channel is delivering within that cost of sale you pretty much covered off all evils you know when you when you spread that out it, it kind of works Okay, really interesting. Now, there's an area within affiliate marketing, Bruce, I'd really like to explore with you because there's quite a few moving parts to it. And it'd be great to get you to walk us through this. And that's sort of using affiliate marketing to sort of leverage on content influencers so you know we, we mentioned those those content publishers out there and i know voucher code sites and discount sites and all that kind of area are, uh, are, are, are some pretty big numbers attached to those for, for big retailers but actually if we're looking to you know reach out and find influence you know a lot of a lot of influencers a lot of bloggers and stuff will make use of affiliate networks to to help fund their activities so can you just talk us through that whole kind of influencer space on affiliate marketing Sure. Um, I think just to sort of, I mean, obviously the the influencer marketplace is really kind of defined by some of the superstars. In my experience, a lot of the fashion brands will probably have PR companies and those PR companies will liaise with those superstars. But underneath that, there's a whole load of other people who don't find it that easy to talk to the brands directly. They're not necessarily going to have the same kind of, um, you know, I guess the same kind of immediate clout. I think one of the interesting things is with the superstars and and, and, uh, there is a school of thought that says, well, actually, it's not necessarily about the size of your following. It's all about the interaction. So if you can find 10 or 20 influencers that have a very loyal following, arguably you can work with those guys to create much more of a a durable legacy than you can in sort of working with a Zoella who will promote you one day for £10,000 and then take £10,000 off your nearest competitor tomorrow. And and those are just for illustrative purposes, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. So there are an enormous amount of people who kind of are wannabes and some of those will actually become superstar bloggers at the end of the day. There are two ways that, uh, or there there is one way that the affiliate networks can, or the, the, the affiliate space has actually sort of um, got into that. We have things called sub-networks and essentially what they do is, in my experience talking to influencers, influencers 
are potentially very good affiliates. They're just extremely bad at being affiliates um, because they don't necessarily know how to technically become one. Um, and so we've got sort of sub networks like Yieldkit, like Skimlinks, like Viglink, who operate within the affiliate space. Uh, and I see them on a lot of my programs. And essentially what they do is they will go to say, look, you've got great content on your website. You clearly don't know what to do with it. So join us. We will spider your site and we will place relevant links in your text that will that, that effectively become affiliate links um, and they basically split the commission so the sub networks themselves will go out and join the program and the theory goes that they will then be able to sign up lots and lots of relevant people or people you know uh, influencers that are relevant to my client's product and, and, and therefore drive an, an audience there's another group of people called the aggregators who are really big in the world of fashion so i'm thinking about thing people like shop style and uh, and people like that who essentially they're a bit like um they 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 take product feeds so for example you know and they do th they kind of go into the influencer space because they use things like pinterest and instagram and whatever so you know, they'll put together lookbooks and they'll work with influencers who will kind of curate things within them. But I essentially will go to somebody like ShopStyle and I'll type in red dress and it will bring back lots of different red dresses. It will bring back expensive red dresses and it will bring, you know, it will bring back cheap red dresses or whatever. But essentially it enables me to search multiple merchants for a red dress. And that's a really, really important thing because that does a lot to sort of showcase brands. It puts people on a kind of even keel. They tend to charge higher commission. All of these guys tend to charge higher commissions because at the end of the day, they sit at the kind of research end of the purchasing funnel. So they are actually less likely to drive a, a sale directly. I might be looking at red dresses, for example, but I might be two or three days away from the point of purchase. Or worst case scenario is, I'm with Quidco, or my wife won't let me buy that red dress unless I do it on easy fundraising. In which case, I will have been influenced by ShopStyle, but I'll actually go off and buy it using my easy fundraising account. And as the affiliate model is last click wins, um, it will generally be an affiliate, another sort of affiliate that actually kind of wins that. But they're very, very, you know, the, these guys are really, really important in, in kind of influencing purchasing decisions and I think that sort of opens another can of worms actually alright so I've, I've now got an image of you with a lot of red dresses in the in the closet <laughs> I've known you for years and I never realised but there we go so it's a good it's a good illustration <laughs> okay great so what I want to know now is what, what are the kind of key performance indicators and metrics that, that, that marketers or merchants in this scenario should be keeping a really close eye on if they want a really enough and a really effective affiliate marketing program the one i've mentioned previously is average order value Affili big affiliates tend to drive something around the average you know the, the, the average order value because they've got a lot of people they're going to be fairly representative of the general population of a whole and they'll probably be pretty similar in line to what a, a merchant sees on its own kind of site obviously Influencing the average order value is something that we try to do. So keeping an eye on the average order value really tells you whether your strategy is succeeding or whether it isn't. One of the key things that affiliates look at themselves is the conversion rate. And that conversion rate is the number of clicks to the number of sales. That's a pretty major thing for an affiliate to look at because they, they make a calculation based on something called an earning per click. So if I drive, I'm a publisher, if I drive 100, 100 clicks to merchant A 
and I generate 10 sales, or if I drive 200 clicks for merchant B and I generate five sales, well, you know, it's pretty obvious who I'm going to put my, my thing behind because obviously merchant A converts a hell of a lot better for me than merchant B. Um, and then you factor in what you actually earn from that. So merchant B might be paying 20% on a sale and merchant A might be paying 10% on a sale, but I'm still going to be earning more from merchant A because I'm actually seeing a better conversion rate despite the fact that the it is lower. So essentially what I'm looking at is if I drive 100 clicks to merchant A, how much money am I going to earn in terms of commission? And what does that work out on an earning per click? And so I'm going to basically look at that from a from a merchant perspective. Obviously, your conversion rate is enormously important because you're actually spending money out doing PPC and stuff like that to, to send clicks to your website. And if you can convert 3% of them and actually you can suddenly find a way of converting 6% of them, then that's one of the quickest wins in digital marketing is actually improving your conversion rate. You know, that may be down to the usability of your site. It may be down to your pricing. Um, and whatever and also you know looking at the conversion rate of individual affiliates is actually also really important so what you tend to find with content affiliates is they'll drive a lot of clicks because they'll have a lot of visitors but they will convert very very poorly they'll probably be converting at maybe one or less than one percent uh, because cashback and voucher code sites come to the party somewhat closer to the point of purchase then they may only generate a thousand clicks but they may be generating 200 sales off the back of that. So they have an incredibly high conversion rate. So actually looking at the conversion rate of an affiliate program as a whole isn't really that important. Actually looking at the conversion rate of individual affiliates within that to understand how they're acting on you is, is really important. There's loads and loads and loads of information within the interface. So looking at the time between the click and the actual sale taking place gives you a pretty good idea as to you know, whether, you know, you can almost tell the sort of affiliate that's driving it without actually seeing the affiliate when you look at the kind of time and stuff like that. Yeah, I guess the the, the two main things I would look at is sort of conversion and average order value. So where do a lot of organizations and brands sometimes get caught out by affiliate marketing? And what are the landmines we should avoid treading on if we're new in this space? I think not understanding the cost of sale through the channel or, or not having a clear... Uh, objective as to what that cost of sale can be. I'll be honest with you, I have to take what my clients say to me with a pinch of salt. So, you know, they can say to me, well, my target cost of sale is 15% when they may very well be working to a cost of sale through other channels of 30%. If that's what they want to do, then that's absolutely fine. And if we can compete on any equal terms, if not better terms with their competitors based on that cost of sale, then clearly that works for me and that kind of works for them. So... Is it better to start with a lower cost of sale or a higher cost per sale? How do, how do you manage that? I've heard various points of view and strategies. Sometimes you can start off with a higher one and then gradually bring it down. How, how do you work that? Um, a, you don't have to have the same strategy for all affiliates. So you can work on a basis of exclusivity and you can share that exclusivity by working on a weekly plan or a fortnightly plan or a monthly plan with certain key affiliates where they will be earning... You know, they will be on a higher commission or you will pay an advertising tenancy to them. And that's a great way of getting on different key affiliates like Radar, right? Yeah, absolutely. 
you know, every affiliate has a unique audience. Um, you will have site traffic, you will have homepage traffic, you will have content area traffic, you will have newsletters, you will have, they will have, they will have their own social media pages. So there'll be lots of different ways that you can get in front of their audience. Um, and the way to do that essentially is to give them something that other affiliates haven't got so an exclusive voucher code or an exclusive cashback or or whatever so yeah it's very much a case of if I'm giving you more I expect more and it is a way of buying that additional exposure so actually if you have a strategy of leveraging what that affiliate has got to give you because in the end they're, they're as interested in building their brand as you are so if you can give them something that their opposite numbers haven't got voucher code customers are incredibly disloyal voucher uh, um, cashback companies are incredibly loyal so actually but but in terms of if you give if, if you pay an advertising tenancy to a cashback site you can get in their newsletter and chances are you will definitely find sort of new customers that way and likewise with voucher code sites if you have an exclusive then they will give you additional exposure and you Will definitely drive new customers that way so any, any other landmines that we should should avoid when moving into this space for the first time i think one thing that you did say and i think this is a landmine in itself to answer your previous question is it better to start low and go high or is it better to go high and, st- and, and and then go low it's a lot easier to let rope out than it is to pull it in so a if you're going to do something radical do it on a do it on an exclusive basis and if you do go in very conservatively and you realize that you're perhaps not generating what you're wanting to generate or you're working well within your cost of sale and you can actually afford to be a bit more generous then go ahead and be more generous. The the worst thing to do is to go in and say, I'm going to go in more than my competition. I'm going to pay twice what they pay because... And it's like, well, you don't actually really need to do that. And actually, once you then go, oh, I I don't want to do that. Uh, The quickest way to to, to offend an affiliate is to basically cut their commission for for, for no good reason uh, because you've simply just gone in too high. And I think a lot of these have confidence in your own brand. If you're confident that you can compete on quality and you can compete on brand and you can compete on style with your nearest competitor, you don't need to do more than they do across the board. Yeah, you might need to compete with them on an exclusive basis with a key affiliate by all means to do that to get in a newsletter. But in general, you do not have to outcompete your your your, your competition on, 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 on what you will, in terms of your own generosity, because generally you're just ramping up your own cost of sale. This was a mistake I made coming into the affiliate space in that I saw it as a game to, as far quickly as I could reduce the costs and actually you you do run the risk it's a fine balance to try to issue you can be a little bit strategic with your your commissions and what you're offering and stuff but but if you go too far on that as I learned you burn bridges and if affiliate work like networking and selling is anything it's about it's about building bridges and building relationships with with organizations that are actually yeah sure they're, they're trying to help you but whilst also making money but they're still you know that very often that's the exchange in business right and I think Sometimes you can go into too heavy on that and and burn bridges and you know actually actually break some of that goodwill that that initially you've maybe built up. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say you know I'm an agency, so I work with clients, and I'm a cost. Networks work with merchants, and they're a cost. The affiliate is a cost, but the affiliate is also the lifeblood of the industry. So 
rather than just looking to strip out cost from the by, by being less generous with the affiliate, I make money. You know, I will make more money by keeping a client for a year than I will by three huge invoices and then the client decides to go elsewhere. Likewise, an affiliate network will make more money by having a sustainable program that they keep for a period of time. So as an agency, quite often when we've had a client for a long time and we're looking, you know, that, that business moves from acquisition into maturity and then they have to start looking at things like profit margin or whatever, it's quite often been a case where the affiliate has made a bit of a sacrifice, the network has made a bit of a sacrifice, and the agency has made a bit of a sacrifice in terms of cost just for the sustainability of that uh, of the programme. So from your point of view, I think heaping all the cost cutting onto the affiliate almost kind of demonises them. Yes, they will not be very happy about it. Yes, it can damage a relationship. So I think if everybody sees themselves as a stakeholder in the process and does their bit, you know, and you will find that mobile contracts were like £100 for a mobile contract 10 years ago. I don't know, it's probably about £15 now. So things kind of find their own level. I think, you know, affiliates are fully cognizant of the fact that people still have to make money. So within, real, you know, realistically speaking, they, they are aware that sometimes affiliates need, you know, commissions need to be cut. But by the same token, networks can make sacrifices and agencies can make sacrifices in order for that to, 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 to actually happen. So I'm going to sort of chip in and share something I found to be particularly useful when working with affiliate networks, and that's giving them plenty of advance notice on your marketing activity. It can make such a difference, particularly if you're, for example, working with an agency such as Optimist. You know, literally you're giving them advance notice, we're going to be doing this, and is there any way that we can work that into to the program, etc. And having a bit of notice on it means that certain key affiliates and partners within the network could be contacted and, and roped in and involved but you have you can't sort of shoot from the hip and just expect the magic to happen you know at, at the drop of a hat because you've suddenly just remembered to to, to do it no absolutely not i think um communication is the absolute essence of affiliate marketing you get into affiliate marketing what you you know you get out of affiliate marketing what you put into it in effect communication is key it happens on a number of levels basically um we, we tend to plan our exclusives on a quarterly basis, so affiliates will be well aware of what what offers they're going to get and when they're going to get them throughout a quarter. There will be kind of marketing events, so in addition to my exclusive coats, for example, most fashion merchants will have a sale at some point in the quarter. You will be going into sale, you will then increase the amount of savings that you can have, you will then have one like crazy last thing and then you will go out of sale at that point and then, you know, and flagging this so things happen at different times affiliates have different speeds of reaction so yeah you can have a flash sale you can say we have decided that from Friday to Sunday you can get 40% off absolutely everything you can tell them on a Thursday that's not a problem and the big affiliates that are well staffed and they're, they're, they're used to reacting to that kind of information will do that if you give them plenty of time to schedule in your exclusives then that way you will get the most because if they know 10 weeks in advance that they need to keep a newsletter slot open for you, then they will do that. If I go to them a day before I want it and say, can I have a spot in your newsletter? It's either going to be horrifically expensive or they're not going to have one for me. So yes, you're quite right, but that's not to preclude short-term tactical stuff because that's what also gets customers quite excited. And as I always say to my clients, the more you tell me, the more I can shout about you to, 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 to the affiliates with. My, my experience was very much the more notice I could give, the more creativity I got back in terms of how to 
you know make the most of of that thing that was going to happen yeah absolutely i mean i yeah i guess i've probably been mired in affiliate for so long that i don't necessarily see some of the things that they do as being particularly creative but they have the means to basically do very short-term communication i think affiliates are sort of slowly starting to learn i, I know that it's, it's definitely something that a lot of big affiliates are actually working on is is actually looking at user behavior and actually maximum actually trying to personalize a lot of the messaging that they do so rather than the newsletter being uh, four million people blunt instrument actually they're sort of tailoring what they show to me so for example if a merchant I've had uh, a relay or have a relationship with that you know they know that I purchase regularly from that merchant if that merchant says we're going into sale we're going to have 40% off flash sale this Friday and Saturday um, they would then be able to send me an email or some kind of notification via the website to say hey Bruce did you know that you know these guys are going into 40% sale this weekend and that's actually really really useful so it doesn't necessarily have to be a mass communication it can be a very personalized communication so yeah I, I think you know definitely you get the more you can give them long term the more you'll get from a the kind of placements that fill up but I also think they're being a lot more savvy in as much as they're creating a lot more short-term flexibility and being able to communicate with customers on a, on a kind of one-to-one -one basis by actually being able to to learn from customer purchasing behavior that they see through their own sort of affiliate site. So what is new what's the next big thing do you think within affiliate marketing I'm quite interested that you mentioned uh, kind of them looking at their email uh, programs and actually you know beginning to personalize that I think that's quite exciting they're going to start bringing in as everyone seems to want to be artificial intelligence and and algorithms to, to help that are there any are there any new tricks and tips with the and, and products and services that are, that are coming to the to the fore in, in your world at the moment I would, I would never refer to affiliate marketing as the leading edge I think the reason being is that affiliate marketing is very very talented at uh, assimilating new things as a business model generally they were you know the, the, some of the things that have happened recently center around the third-party technology stuff so again things that a merchant would have had to go out and buy things like abandonment solution or you know display retargeting that kind of stuff has been brought in and made available to merchants through the affiliate channel on a paid performance basis uh, which is a really cost-effective way of using that technology uh, it's not necessarily without its downsides picking up on what you said about personalization again you know this is something that you know non-affiliate media owners have been very very good at they've been collecting this sort of data for years i think it's the fact that affiliates sort of started out not being particular they, they were they were very interested in making a lot of money and they weren't that interested in the long term um, and as they've kind of transitioned into businesses where the original owners have kind of sold out they've been bought by bigger companies then they're starting to realize that there are some ways that traditional more traditional media owners have behaved that they can then kind of adopt so you know, I think affiliate marketing it assimilates really, really useful things and makes them available to merchants on a performance basis. If we want to know more about Optimus, who you are and what you do, how do we get in touch? Where do we go? Uh, well, you can email me. I am Bruce at optimus-pm.com. Uh, you can also visit optimus-pm.com for details of what we do. Um, to be honest with you, the best way to find out more is to actually pick up the phone and have a chat because not everyone's sort of uh, there is there is no there is no one set conversation that we have about affiliate marketing. Every merchant's needs are completely different, and we look at everything on a case by case basis. 
Thanks very much for listening to the Digital Marketing Podcast. If you want to continue your learning in digital marketing, get over to targetinternet.com and sign up for the free trial of our digital marketing e-learning platform. There's over 140 bite-sized courses for you to try and lots of other learning resources as well. So get on there and sign up for the free trial.